Hey everybody and welcome in on back to the Brews on the Balcony midweek show. If you are new to our show here, what we do here is we talk about the NFL. We cover NFL football games and we got a packed show today. The Super Bowl is set. It'll be the San Francisco 49ers taking on the Kansas City Chiefs. I am your host, Zach Zook. This is brought to you by Brews on the Balcony. TJ, Nick, all the guys will say hi on Sunday. We will still have a show on Sunday, although there is no game except for the Pro Bowl. We will still have content on Sunday. We're always pumping the content out for the people. Uh, hashtag for the people is how we operate. It's the bruise on the balcony difference. And uh, t- today I kind of wanted to go over uh, Championship Sunday. We'll do an in-depth uh, breakdown and recap of the games First the Chiefs-Titans, and then the Packers-49ers. And then I want to talk about where the losers go from here. Because we'll talk about the winners, and we'll talk about the the Super Bowl matchup next week. But I want to focus on the teams that got to this point, but then came up a little bit short. Because I think that both the Titans and the Packers are really interesting to see what they end up doing this offseason. There's already been some different reports out there. But first, got to give a shout-out to our fantastic sponsors, First up is Cafe Telegraph. They hosted the Brews on the Balcony football show, our live show, every Sunday from 10.30 to noon was hosted at Cafe T throughout the regular season, and they're a fantastic sponsor and a partner of ours. Uh, Christian's always getting the wings fired up. It's the best smoked meats in town. You can find them on Telegraph Road in, uh, in South County, It is a fantastic place to take in a football game. They have TVs galore, beer galore, fried foods galore. It is a football fan's dream. So head on out to Cafe T and get yourself some smoked meats today. We're also brought to you by Kay Roberts from Remax Gold. Kay Roberts, one of the best real estate agents in the city of St. Louis. She just helped TJ close and move into his house. And we have the studio there in the basement of of his new home, and Kay knocked it out of the park. That place is phenomenal. The yard is great. The view is great. The interior is incredible. Uh, She did an excellent job. So if you are looking for real estate in the St. Louis area, and she told me she even extends as far out, I think about an hour west of the city limits. So so she can help you out. Kay has some connects. So hit up Kay Roberts from uh, Remax Gold. We're also brought to you by STL Distillery on Freedens Road. Those are Nick's boys. Go on and try some of the brew vodka. If you see the videos that Brews on the Balcony puts out, which if you don't, shameless plug, you should go and check those out on our YouTube page, on our Instagram page, and on our Twitter account. And go see all the video content that TJ, Nick, myself, and Big Web put out, as well as the Bras ladies and that crew. I know they're putting out Bachelor recaps left and right. So go ahead and check that out. And you'll notice a brew vodka bottle right in the middle of all that. And that is from SDL Distillery in St. Charles on Freedens Road. You can also try their Cardinal Sin Vodka, mention brews on the balcony, or any of our names, and you'll get a free tour and tasting of the distillery. Uh, we're also brought to you by Family Finance. Family Finance Mortgage, Sarah Barron, give her a call at 314-537-1282. She can help you refi on your mortgage or start one up. Again, Sarah Barron from Family Finance Mortgage, 
1282. She can help you with all of your mortgage needs. Again, like K, like STL Distillery, like Cafe T. Fantastic. We we would not sponsor uh, uh, our our partners if we didn't believe in what they were doing. And Sarah Barron does a great job. So give her a call again. 314-537-1282. Let's get into the show. Okay, so time to break down these games. First up, we have the Kansas City Chiefs, and they played host to the Tennessee Titans. They beat them 35-24 to to advance to the Super Bowl. It's the first Super Bowl they've been to in 50 years, and I have some takeaways on it. Uh, you know how I've said that the Texans kind of operate like a basketball team? Like, it feels like their team isn't all that talented It feels like they have a top-heavy roster. It feels like they have a lot of weaknesses on the team. But when Deshaun Watson and DeAndre Hopkins get it rolling, and if they have Will Fuller on the field, it certainly helps. They can play with anybody in in pro football, and they can score points in bunches. And that's what happened in, in the playoff game against the Bills. It felt like the Bills outplayed them for most of it, and then Deshaun Watson got it together, and all of a sudden... It felt like you couldn't stop the train. You had to get off the tracks because the Texans were rolling. That is how the Chiefs operate, except their offense is just so high octane. I wouldn't even call it a basketball team because they never go into lulls. They are constantly, constantly applying pressure. Even when you stop them, it's it's almost like a sigh of relief instead of like, oh, well, they, they didn't play very well that drive. It's that they missed a big play or two, or you played good enough defense to stop it. And I think it's one of the biggest testaments to Andy Reid that you can make about a coach with what he's been able to do with the roster and what he's been able to do now with different teams over the coach of his over the course of his coaching career. Um, Andy is trying to become the seventh. Uh, head coach in NFL history to win a Super Bowl with multiple teams. Of course, he he got one with the Eagles, and now he's trying to do it with with the Chiefs. And uh, I I think that the biggest thing, and one thing that I heard that I thought was great because I think it hits the nail on the head. We think of Kyle Shanahan and we think of the zone run, right? We think of Bill Walsh and we think of the West Coast offense. We think of Vic Fangio, and we think of great defenses. Same with uh, with Buddy Ryan, right? Rex Ryan, you think of blitz-heavy defense. What would you describe Andy Reid's scheme? Like, if you were telling somebody, what would you describe his scheme? You can't really put a finger on it because it changes based on who he has. And I think that's the biggest testament of his coaching career is his adaptability and his ability to change and move with the times and stay ahead of the curve while guys that are younger than him still aren't able to get it done with the efficiency and the quality and consistency ultimately that Andy's had over the course of his career. Uh, They started building this thing in KC from the ground up and that final year with Alex Smith when they realized Mahomes was so good, you you know, because they had... They had a pretty high floor. You know, they were winning games. They were making the playoffs consistently. They they were competitive in the division. They had returned to relevancy. But with Alex as the quarterback and his, his final season as a chief was his his best ever, and really as a as a quarterback in the NFL. But the but the team had a ceiling, and 
I, I, I think that it, it takes a lot of guts and balls if you're Andy to when he realized what they had in Patrick Mahomes in practice that year to just go ahead and trade Alex Smith to the Redskins and then start 15. I mean, what a monumental shift for that franchise. Even if they get beat by the 49ers this year, they're going to win a Super Bowl in the next 5 to 10 years with Patrick Mahomes. It's inevitable. It's going to happen. If it doesn't happen two Sundays from now, it's going to happen. They're not going anywhere. They're too good. And I give Coach Reed a ton of props for for jumping up and drafting Patrick Mahomes. I've heard from from people around the league and reporters that nobody grinds as hard as Andy Reid does. You could be when everybody's off. You could drive by the stadium and you'll see his car outside the office. He probably worked on Sunday night into Monday after they won the AFC Championship game to either to either go over some stuff from the from their game that they had just played or to watch the 49ers play the Packers to see who they were going to play and then watch the tape of them after to, to see how they can match up or how they can maybe potentially slow Kyle Shanahan's offense down. I mean, Andy Reid studies studies just as hard as anybody. I mean, about as hard as you could even compare him to Bill in, in, his, in his practice and his intense regimen of just being committed to to winning and committed to success. And I think that really is the kind of the story or my takeaway from the Chiefs going back to the Super Bowl. And ultimately it's Patty. I mean, they get down early in this one again. Titans are up 10-0. And what do you know, the Chiefs end up winning by 11. You you, you tell people, hey, you, you need to come out firing. You need to come out. You can't just decide when to turn it on. Well, with Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs, they might be able to just decide when to turn it on. I mean, they're that good. And I think uh, uh, something that other football teams can learn from with this is sitting your quarterback is valuable, even if it costs you losses, because I don't think Patty is quite the... Now, he was going to succeed no matter what, but had they thrown him into the fire week one, I don't know if they're here today. Because that year that he got to sit and learn behind Alex Smith and watch success, too. I think that's that's the big key. You can't have him sit behind Brock Osweiler, right? Because he's not learning anything valuable. But, but I think the value in sitting behind somebody that is good and talented at the position or sitting behind a functional offense and seeing how it's done at the NFL level and how showing that prototype of success is so invaluable. And if you can afford to do that as an NFL franchise – you'll be so far ahead with your quarterback, with your young quarterback, than another team. The other thing I think is important to realize is when the Chiefs took Mahomes, they had Tyreek Hill already, they had Travis Kelsey already, and they had a lot of these offensive linemen already. Uh, they, they put pieces around Patrick to succeed, and I think that Buffalo could learn from this. Can you please get uh, Josh Allen a big receiver? He's not an accurate quarterback. Throwing to little John Brown and Cole Beasley ain't going to cut it. You need to draft a big guy with a catch radius. And I understand the analytics of what they were going for. And we talked about this on the midweek show a little bit earlier. So this I don't want this to turn into a Buffalo thing. But I think that there's something to be said for having the pieces in place for when you draft that quarterback to give him the best chance to succeed. Now, does that mean he's always going to succeed? No. The Bears have one of the best rosters in pro football, and Mitch Trubisky can't hit water if he fell out of a boat. 
the, the video has been circulating around the interwebs about when he was at the Pro Bowl last year, which is laughable in its own right, especially with it being Pro Bowl week this week. Just hilarious to look back. Yeah, Mitch Trubisky was in the Pro Bowl. I mean, it's such a joke. But he could not complete a five-yard pass over a waist-high board. Just could not do it because he, 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 just, he just doesn't have the... The, the baseline talent to succeed. And so I'm not saying that if you put the talent around the team that the quarterback will always succeed, but it certainly gives them a better chance. Had the Bears not been so good roster-wise, I don't think it would have taken them three years to, to figure out that Trubisky wasn't the guy. Because let's be real, the strength of the Bears and how good they were as a team covered up a lot of his warts because they were able to run the football. They they brought in all these weapons with Allen Robinson and Taylor Gabriel, and the defense was so good that Mitch barely had to score any points to make it competitive or or give them a chance to win. They rode to 10-6 and six and a three-seed in the, in the postseason last year, not really having to score many points because the defense was one of the best in the league. And so... Building it, building it like that, giving your quarterback the best chance to succeed when he's young is the move. That is what you have to do. You have to go go get those those more expensive pieces when he's young, so that way when he matures and becomes more expensive, and then he has to do it with less, he'll be better equipped to do that because he'll be so much farther along in the maturation process. But I digress. Let's get more into the games here. The the nine and seven Tennessee Titans. I mean, who would have thought, right, that, that they could have made it this far? They had lost seven games this year, and they get, tra- they get Tractor Cito rolling towards the playoffs. He had an excellent track record in December, and he kind of just kept that momentum rolling into January. How good of a coach is Mike Vrabel? But I think what was most impressive is that the Chiefs were able to dictate terms. And the Titans got up early 10-zip, but took a lot of time off the clock to do so. Well, then the Chiefs started slinging it around, and that's the problem when you're built like the Titans are. They have to play with the lead. They, they just can't play from behind. They're not equipped to do it. And so once they got behind, you know, Derrick Henry only had 19 attempts in this game. That's not what they want to do. They want to run him 30-plus times. He had 19 for 69 yards, and credit the Chiefs defense for slowing him down, but they didn't slow him down at the start of the game. It was once the Titans got behind and they forced, uh, the Chiefs rather, forced Tennessee's hand, that's when they were able to kind of slow him down and force Tannehill to beat them. Uh, so I thought that was a really impressive job. It was the the, the two top seeds, the two favorites, the, 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 uh, the issue was going to be, how do you stop the run game? And I beg your pardon, actually, the Titans were the underdogs. But for the for the 49ers and the Titans, their opponent was going to be, how do you slow down the rushing attack? For Green Bay, it was going to be, how do you slow down Kyle Shanahan's zone run? For, for Kansas City, stop Derrick Henry. How do you do that? And the, the Chiefs did a really good job of dictating their game plan, and Andy deserves a ton of credit. He probably looked at the film, looked at his defensive personnel, met with Spagnolo, the defensive coordinator, and said, all right, we're going to have to play this fast. We need Patty to show up. We need to score points. Our best chance to beat them is by getting off to a hot start. We have to play with the lead. We cannot play from behind and let the Titans dictate the game to us. And We need to force the Titans to throw. So how do we do that? We load the box and we and we dictate their, their run pass their ratio by the score. And that's exactly what the Chiefs were able to do after getting off to another rough start. And that's, I'm sure, 
going to be a very hot topic of conversation as we approach uh, the Super Bowl. But I think that the Titans are, are, are built so well. They are built to last. They are built to sustain in, in January that I would not change up too much if I was them. And we'll talk about this more when we talk about what the losers would do. But, man, that was a great football game. Uh, the, the, Chief, the Chiefs just were the better team. And seeing Patty Mahomes just fire up Arrowhead, I mean, the game wasn't even all that competitive. But just, uh, especially there in the second half, you knew the Chiefs were going to win once they erased the 10-point deficit again. But... Just watching Arrowhead and these fans that had been long-suffering finally watch this young kid, this brash quarterback, take them to the Super Bowl was really something else. And being located in St. Louis, four hours away from it, I went to school at Mizzou for four years, and I was only two, about two, two and a half hours away from Kansas City. It was really cool to watch those fans and to, and to watch Patty, too. Uh, really cool experience in Kansas City. So I want to talk now about the, about the 49ers game. And boy, my Packers got taken to the woodshed. And uh, there was one 13-3 team that was built much better than the other 13-3 team. And, you know, a lot of the people that said that the Packers were frauds, I think, feel vindicated today. And I, I don't think that's still true. I think clearly the Niners were the better team, but we knew that going into it. It was, can the Packers make it competitive and can the Packers rebound? It doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out that the 49ers have the better roster. Where I was disappointed as as a fan was that they, they had no shot when they got off the bus because uh, Pettin's game plan wasn't any different and it really felt like a, a repeat of Week 12. And it was a game the Packers hadn't lost since Week 12 when they played the Niners and they had to they went right back out to Santa Clara and the exact same thing happened. So that I think was the most disappointing thing for me. I actually thought the line, the offensive line for the Packers, which was one of the X-Factors, played pretty well in that game. Uh, it's kind of hard to to, uh, to to hold up when you're getting it just run down your throat, and it feels like the game's getting away from you before the first 15 minutes is over. Now, the 49ers got some sacks, they got some pressure on Rodgers, and they'll, they're always going to get theirs. But I thought that, that they held up reasonably well. And I, I think Rodgers is getting a lot of hate today. And he didn't play that great. But I don't think he played that awful either. It was the defense to me. I mean, they, they had no shot. When, when Kyle started running it down their throat, I, I knew pre, pretty early on that the Packers were probably going to lose that game unless Aaron Rodgers pull, pulled a Houdini. Uh, to, to, take, to quote my, my man, Jason Witten, unless Aaron pulled a rabbit out of his head, they were going to lose that game. So uh, that was the disappointing thing to me, and I know the quarterback gets all the blame, and so people are just slandering AR-12 today. But I, and, and, and he's been average this year, and I think people are just kind of starting to realize that. I guess to me it's a tired narrative because as a guy that's watched the games all year, it, this isn't new. He hasn't really had the best season, and I think people were just kind of expecting Aaron Rodgers in his prime to show up and throw for 400 yards and four touchdowns. Well, that didn't happen. It was never going to happen. Um, so, I, yeah, I mean, I thought, though, that he played well enough because he gets them back into the game even in the second half to the point where if they could just get a stop and Green Bay could get another score, it's a seven-point game with, like, eight minutes left. And Mike Pettin just could not get a stop. And... 
it was infuriating to watch. And some inside baseball, if you're not, you know, I guess as 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 up with the times in, in terms of like the coaching changes. Kyle Shanahan worked in Cleveland when Mike Pettin was the head coach there. When Johnny Manziel was there, remember Johnny Manziel and Justin Gilbert, the guy that took out of Oklahoma State and that whole debacle. Mike Pettin was the head coach there. It actually led them to their most successful record in years as the head coach there. He went 7-9 and nine and then was uh, eventually fired. Kyle quit and went to Atlanta and then took the took the Falcons to the Super Bowl and then they had the 28-3. He won an MVP for Matt Ryan. Uh, pretty incredible stuff. But Kyle, before that, was the OC with the Browns. And so he knows Mike Pettin's tendencies in in his personality, like the back of his hand. And I think that's why he he, ta- he took advantage of him. You also couple that with the personnel. The, the Packers were susceptible all season long to play action and pre-snap motion, both of which are primary functions of the Kyle Shanahan offense. So you knew it was going to be tough going into it, and they were 23rd against the run this season. So <laughs> it just it was a terrible matchup for the Packers. I'm not trying to make excuses for them, but to, to go and say that they're frauds, or like I heard, I've heard multiple people now say, oh, they felt more like a 9 or 10 win team. Get, get out of town. They lost three football games all year. Two of them, or four football games if you count the playoffs, half of those were to the, to the team that could potentially win the Super Bowl and the NFC champions. And then they they fell flat in California against the against the uh, the Chargers uh, at a three o'clock game. They just didn't come west. They they gave a stinker. Okay, fine. You get about one of those a year. And then they got blown out by the Niners twice. And then the other one was a really closely contested game against the Eagles and Carson Wentz at home that, that they lost. It was kind of bad luck defeat. And you're going to lose some of those. It was the only close game they lost all season. They racked up 14 wins. I, you know, the Bill Parcells quote, you are what your record says you are. Packers were 14-2. and two. I'm sick and tired of hearing these fucking idiots go on about how the Packers were complete frauds. If they were complete frauds and all these other teams were better than them, then why didn't the Seahawks beat them? They were getting lambasted at Lambeau. They were down 21-3, and Mike Pettin was playing prevent defense the entire second half and like the Packers did, they were trying to run out the clock. And yes, it almost burned them, and it got interesting at the end. But this was what we talked about last week. At the end of the day, they got it done, and they consistently got it done this season. So although they fell flat, I, I think that that's a joke. Because I also think that that's not giving the 49ers their due. Because the 49ers are fucking incredible. And that's what I want to lead into now. Kyle Shanahan is... We gave McVay all the credit. And I don't know who I'd pick. If I had to pick one of the two who I would pick for the next 10 years. Uh, but, man, Kyle's every bit as good as Sean. I, he might be better. I mean, that's how crazy good he is and how, how good the 49ers have built that team. You think about all the all the first-round picks that they've accumulated and hit on. They have four first-round defensive linemen. They have uh, uh, Tart in the defensive backfield. That's, I think, a mid-round pick. They, they signed Richard Sherman in free agency. They traded for D. Ford from the Kansas City Chiefs. They hit on Fred Warner. They hit on Emmanuel Mosley. You know Emmanuel Mosley is an undrafted free agent? He's an, he's an undrafted free agent at playing the cornerback position. How many corners are starting in the NFL that are undrafted free agents? There's undrafted free agents everywhere, but at the corner position, it's incredibly rare. 
to see a guy go undrafted and then not only start in the league, maybe because of injury or whatever, but be a slated starter for the team, took Witherspoon's spot once he was benched, and he's been nails. He was incredible in the NFC Championship game. They also get Drake Greenlaw out of Arkansas, another mid-round pick that they just absolutely nailed. Raheem Mostert, a guy that's floated around like seven different NFL franchises, is just going off. Matt Breida doesn't even play. And then you sign Tevin Coleman over from the Falcons to reunite with Kyle Shanahan. Now they got the quarterback just absolutely gift-wrapped into them. I give them zero credit for that. But can we give the 49ers their due? They're the best team in the NFC all season long. It was never the Saints. It was never the Packers. It was never anybody else but the 49ers. So to say that the Packers are frauds or a complete joke because they got their ass kicked by the 49ers, I don't think giving the 49ers enough credit. 49ers have kicked everybody's ass this year. They kicked Minnesota's ass. They kicked Green Bay's ass. They were able to beat the Saints. They, I, I think they, did they beat the Ravens? Did they play the Ravens? Now I'm totally off base. But the, but the 49ers have been incredible this season. And with Robert Sala and his defense and Kyle on the offensive side, how Sala hasn't been hired as a head coach, I will never understand. He's got to be the top choice for next year's crop. But, uh, man, give them a ton of credit. They're headed to the Super Bowl, and they're going to be underdogs in the Super Bowl. Chiefs are slight favorites. Chiefs were my preseason pick to win it all. So, I mean, I got to stick with that pick. But uh, I tell you what, I don't know if I'll put any actual money on it because I respect the 49ers just that much. So so congrats to them. You know what's crazy is I believe they are headed to their second Super Bowl in eight years with a, with as, as tough as they've had it. And they've had some bad teams. They lived through the Tom Sula years out there uh, after, the, after Jim Harbaugh. And they've had a ton of, ton of change at, at the executive level. And they had been, you know, grounded in turmoil for a pretty long time. To think that they've still been to two Super Bowls now in the last eight years. I mean, what would, what would the Saints give? Or some of these other teams that have just been dying to get there. The Minnesota Vikings are one that come to mind. Uh, what, would, what wouldn't they give to, to win two NFC titles in eight years? So what the 49ers are doing is incredible. Uh, can't wait to, to, to highlight the in preview that game next week because I think it's going to be an all-timer. These two teams are so good. I, I don't see a blowout occurring on either side. Uh, it, it's, it's going to be awesome. But, uh, yeah, the, the, the 49ers ran all over the Packers. Mike Patton had no answer. It's a bad matchup. Uh, Packers got to go back to the drawing board, clearly. And congrats to the 49ers. They deserved it. I want to talk about the the losers of the conference championship games and where they go from here because both have very interesting decisions facing them this offseason in the Titans and the Packers. And one of the reasons I wanted to talk about this is because we see these teams that make it to the conference title game and then lose and they feel like they're a step away. They're they're so close, right? And so often it feels like we never see those teams again, at least not with the current core as constructed. I mean, I just talked about how the 49ers have made their second Super Bowl in the last eight years, but I don't think there is anybody on the current roster that was there eight years ago. I'm racking my brain. I don't think there's anybody. So it's very tough sometimes, and it happens all too often, that these teams make it to their conference championship, and we never see or hear from them again. So how do these teams then move forward after this loss to ensure that that doesn't happen to them or make some of the same mistakes or disappear into irrelevancy again. 
The Jaguars are the first team that comes to my mind that that's happened to recently, and Minnesota's been trying like hell to make it back there, but they haven't been able to make it back the last couple years after acquiring Kirk Cousins, who they thought was the, was the missing link to getting them an NFC title. So uh, first, let's talk about the Titans, because they clearly have, have something special in Derrick Henry. They were finally able to really unlock his true potential this year. Um, but the most interesting facing the most interesting decision facing them is at the quarterback position. They have to figure out what to do with Ryan Tannehill and where they're going to move from here as a franchise. And let, let let's let's look at the facts here. Mike Vrabel's a really good coach. If you're a Titans fan, that that has to make you happier than anything because that is stable and it's not going to change. The the Titans knocked that hire out of the park. You have Tractor Cito, who's still a young back. Derrick Henry is not going anywhere. You still have a top 10 defense, which I honestly, I got to tell you, I think as long as Mike Vrabel's there, they're going to be at least top half of the league. I think they've been top 10 every year since he's gotten there. And it's ho-hum another top 10 defensive year under the radar for them again this season. They have a fantastic defense. They care about defense. They use a lot of resources on the defense. And if they continue to do that, they should be able to just churn over that roster and keep keep the train moving. So I wouldn't worry about that. I think that's a strength of the team. Maybe the strength of the team behind Derrick Henry, because that's clearly number one. What you have in him right now is unlike any other rushing attack in the NFL. Even Lamar Jackson and the Ravens rush and have success, maybe even better success than the Titans, but they do it in a very different way than do the Titans, who just bully you and smash mouth you and run it down your effing throat like it's the 1990s. I absolutely love watching them play. One thing that I think is another strength of theirs that they don't have to worry about is the offensive line. They have they have invested a lot of resources into the line as well. But where they've fallen short is at the skill positions and at the quarterback position. So that's what they have to address. Now, a lot of people have talked about moving on from Tannehill because Tannehill was a, was a free agent signing. And they have options now with a lot of these guys hitting the market. There's some quarterback turnover from the losing and failing fledgling teams. And some of the guys out there, I mean, the, the common guys is Mariota one who's coming from the Titans, who will obviously not be back. Uh, Phillip Rivers from the Chargers. Nobody knows what's going to happen there. Uh, if you ask me, I mean, we're going to do the offseason pod and, and highlight all of this in extreme detail. I think Phillip's probably going to be back with the Chargers next year. We'll see, but I think he's probably back. Uh, you have Andy Dalton from the Bengals, who will not be back because they're going to draft Joe Burrow, so he's out. So th- there, there's some different options that you can look at. Jameis Winston is under con- is in a contract year with uh, Tampa Bay, so they have to decide if they want to re-sign him or let him walk. So, so it'll be really interesting to see what the Titans decide to do here. I'll tell you what I'd do. I'd keep Ryan Tannehill. I think if it's not broke, don't fix it. You clearly had something special with Ryan that galvanized that locker room and he's done a very he's done a fine job. I don't think his performance has been bad at all. Just because they ended up running it 30 times and he wasn't needed doesn't mean he he wasn't performing well. I think that's the misconception. Like Jimmy Garoppolo threw eight passes in the NFC championship game. And so people then they see that and they stat hunt and they say, oh well Jimmy Garoppolo must be not not that not be that good then because Kyle Shanahan just wanted to run the ball. They don't let him pass, so they must not think very much of him over there. So why should we think he's good? Or if he's not throwing four touchdown passes and putting up yards, 
people don't care why. They just don't think you're very good. And so I think that you have to look past that with Ryan Tannehill. And so much of the quarterback position is between the ears and off the field and the leadership ability. More than any other position in the league tenfold. And I think Ryan Tannehill's done a very nice job of that. What has his downfall been to this point in his career? I would argue that it has not been his play or his athletic ability at all, or even his ability to throw and play the quarterback position with Miami, it's been his health. And when you look at the rosters that he had down in Miami, it's been some of the worst in the league. And he still got them to the postseason one time. Now, he did get hurt at the end of that season and was unable to quarterback them in the postseason. And there, I think, is the issue. So you have to... You have to evaluate that against what you've seen so far, and he was able to stay healthy this season. He's a big kid. He he runs hard, was running over guys, playing with a ton of passion, and clearly wants to lead this football team. He, he's a fan favorite. They have cohesion in that locker room right now, and I don't think I'd mess with that. I Because re- what you're getting on the market, I don't think, is, is, a, is a big enough obvious return to take the risk. Now, is Andy Dalton maybe a little bit better than Ryan Tannehill? Sure, probably, but Ryan Tannehill has been great for them, and so I think that they can also get him on the cheap. Ryan Tannehill knows that this is a great situation he's in. It's a mutually beneficial situation because he's in the best, best position for his career that he's ever been. Uh, for the Titans, they finally have a potential franchise quarterback now, and a guy that they can probably get on the cheap. Or, I mean, as far as quarterbacks go, he's not going to command Kirk Cousins' money. I'd put his price tag right around $15 million, which would be a little, little over half of what Kirk is making. So I think that they could then allocate assets to keep a good core around him because he's a limited quarterback, but any quarterback you sign in free agency is going to be limited. Uh, I think the the Minnesota Vikings are a a great testament of that because Kirk's as limited as they come. Andy Dalton's going to be limited. Marcus Mariota's going to be limited. Phillip Rivers at this career, at this stage of his career, is extremely limited, especially when it comes to the decision-making and the arm strength. So uh, I I think that I I would strongly caution against jumping off the Tannehill bandwagon too quickly because I think they really do have all the pieces there and to just add to the roster, add guys in free agency, and just simply mature and get better. I think that's really what they need to do to contend in in AFC South. That is pretty wide open. I mean, the Texans have won that division uh, each of the last couple of seasons, but I think the Titans can kind of take that over if they just continue building upon the foundation that Vrabel has already set. We move on to the Packers, my favorite NFL team, as you know if you listen to this show. And then we'll get you on out of here to enjoy the rest of your week and the weekend. Again, we'll be live from the BOTB studios on Sunday morning. No football games. We don't give a shit. We're still pushing out content. But I want to talk about the Packers game before I send you off and where they go from here. There's been There had been reports that after the 49ers blew them out a second time, that they were considering moving on from Mike Patton. And that really concerned me when I saw those reports. And they asked LaFleur if Patton would be back, and he said, his, his answer in the press conference was, and I quote, we'll have, to, we'll have to evaluate everything. And that is not a very strong endorsement of your assistant coach. And for those of you that don't know, when LaFleur was brought on to be the Packers head coach, Patton had already been there a year and this is Patton's second year with the staff, so he's not LaFleur's guy. He is probably not who Matt would have cho- would have chosen, uh, 
if he got to recruit the position himself, and typically when that happens, they get fired at, at the first sign of trouble. And Ron Rivera is a classic example of this at the executive level because Tepper bought the team from the old ownership, and so Ron Rivera, who was the old ownership's guy, the old GM's guy, got sent packing. And so now Tepper gets his head coach in, hit Matt Rule, and they're going to start a new regime. And that's just typically what happens whenever new, new management is brought in. And it's across any walk of life. Uh, at, at, your, at your day job, at insurance, and in sales, whatever it may be, if new management gets brought in, sometimes the heads roll. And that's why people get stressed out about it. So I did not want this to happen because although the Packers were 23rd against the run, they're a pretty average defense. This is his second year. They have a lot of young players, and I think they have a lot of holes on the defense. And I think if you're firing guys willy-nilly, it's it's really a tough look. And beyond that, I think Pettin is probably a top 10 defensive mind in, in pro football. He is excellent at what he does. And just because he, he gets beat by Kyle Shanahan doesn't mean he should lose his job. You know what I know Mike Pettin did? He shut down the Vikings, the Bears, and the Lions, which are our division opponents. I say are like I'm a, like I'm a member of the team. I am an owner, so... Uh, just kidding, I'm not an owner. I wish I was. Um, he, he, he shut down the division. 6-0 in the division. That's what I care about. Number two seed, home field by. That's what I care about. Yeah, it would have been nice for him to have a little bit better game plan and to shut down Kyle and not be down 27 nothing at half. But hey, they made it pretty far in this just his second year with a lot of young defensive players. Jair Alexander, second-year player. Kevin King, third-year player. Darnell Savage, first-year player. Rashawn Gary, first-year player. Blake Martinez, fourth-year player who will be gone because he's not very good. Preston and Zedaria Smith, first year in the system. They had so many new faces that this stuff takes time. It takes time to build. And I think cohesion, and I tweeted this out today, is so important. And since then, right before I sat down to record this, it was broke that LaFleur is going to keep him. And I think that that's such a smart decision because it gives you a look into the insight of how Matt LaFleur is going to operate. You don't want to be the fire, fire everyone guy. I mean, Bill O'Brien's the fire everyone guy, and, and look at where he's at. I mean, he can't get out of get, can't get out of the divisional round. He's usually losing on wild card weekend. He has one of the most talented young quarterbacks in the NFL, and it feels like he's going to waste him because the guy just can't get along with anybody. Like Bill, was it Romeo Cornell's fault that you lost in the playoffs? Like, sorry, dude, I don't think so. Maybe it's all those all those draft picks you traded away to help your offense. <laughs> I mean, how many players did, did Romeo Cornell get on defense to help him out? None. So you don't want to be the fire everyone guy. You, you want to take caution. You want to have a steady hand. You are the CEO of the Packers franchise for for for, for what it's worth. The, the on-field performance, the players, the coaching staff, they all look to you. And so... For Matt LaFleur to kind of look past it, well, he's not my guy, I didn't hire him, and maybe he's not my cup of tea, but I think he's good at his job and he gets results. To stick with him, I think, says a lot about him and a lot about the franchise, and I mean, really gives me hope for the future. That said, if they fired him, I tweeted this out today too, if they brought on Chris Richard or Wade Phillips or somebody like that that had been well accomplished, I'm okay with it. Because it, it is starting to get a little, like, you are starting to scratch your eyebrows a little bit, raise your eyebrows, scratch your head at, at 
you know, Mike, dude, you had all these records of top ten defenses. Now the roster's getting better. Well, what's the deal here? Why can't we? Why can't we at least slow people down and not get embarrassed in these big games? But I, I, I again, I think his his scheme, his system is complex, and I think he, he has a lot of young guys there. They clearly need another linebacker. Blake Martinez is such a stiff. Yeah, I don't know where he goes after this, but he's not going to be brought back by Green Bay. They need to use a premium draft selection or a lot of free agent dollars to address that to help out Mike because that is a big part of the struggles in the run game. And he, he's dealing with no names at the defensive end and in the interior of the line. That's, I think, the biggest issue. And so we've seen now what he's been able to do with, with good pass rushers. Darius Smith led the NFL in pressures. Darius and Preston were getting sacks like crazy. He gets these good young secondary guys, and now all of a sudden the windows aren't so big. So I'm glad that the Packers are going to keep him. Sometimes you think that you're a step away, and that's what I wanted to address with both of these franchises, and you feel like you just need to make that one change to put you over the top. And a lot of times in doing that, you make that one change that you feel like will get get you that extra step, that step you need to make it to the Super Bowl to win the conference championship. And in reality, a lot of times it sets you back two or three steps. Like that's what's happened with Minnesota in this in this signing of Kirk Cousins. And that's I think what I would caution against both of these teams. Both first with the Titans and Ryan Tannehill, and next with the Packers and Mike Patton. And and it looks like the Packers are going to hold on to Patton. It was reported today that he'll be back. And I think the Titans are going to hold on to Ryan Tannehill. I really, I really would be surprised if they decide to move on. I think that's the right move. You know, j- just, just get better. I mean, it's as simple as that. Just grind and get better because you, you have the pieces there. Just mature and get better. For both of these teams, they're not in divisions which they. It was lucky that they got this far, right? The, the Titans obviously nine and seven, but a much different football team towards the end once they got Henry rolling. If they can keep this momentum going into next season. They'll be a very, very tough out against their division rivals. Now, I know the Colts are no joke, the Texans are no joke, and in the NFC North, the Bears and the Vikings are no jokes either. However, both of these teams are equipped to get back to this point if they don't do anything too incredibly drastic. I think it's the complementary pieces, additions, acquisitions, whatever, what have you, that that get you over the top more than it is the wholesale change or making a big change. Because keep in mind, you have a good team. You need to make a little step, not a big one. Well, that'll do it for our show. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Bruise on the Balcony midweek show. Again, I'm Zach Zook. You can follow me on Twitter at Zach underscore Zook. Go follow uh, Bruise on the Balcony at Balcony Bruise Pod. Nick Yale, TJ Weber, Big Web. We'll all be with you on Sunday morning, bringing you some more football content. Thank you so much for making us a part of your day, and we'll see you this weekend.